Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, uh, we are going to discuss the upcoming Ontario election, which is taking place on June 3rd. Uh, the parties are getting into election mode. Uh, you have the uh, New Democratic Party, the NDP, Andrew Horvath, have released their platform. We are going to go through that line by line. <clears throat> I have Alex Grant here with me once again, who has been uh, studying it, looking into it. Uh, he'll help us uh, sort of go through this platform. We'll go through it line by line, look at what's good what's bad, what's, and then also importantly, what approach should Marxists take towards uh, the election, towards uh, elections in general under capitalism and towards uh, a party like the NDP, a social democratic uh, party. So that's the plan for the podcast this week. Um, yeah, so I guess the good place to start is this NDP platform, which was, I guess, released yesterday or the, yeah, yesterday. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know, maybe the best way to do it is to, I chatted briefly with Alex before, uh, put it into certain subject matter because it is a massive document they released. Um, and obviously a burning question for working class people uh, is housing. It has been for some time, but I think it's become more and more and more the central question um, for uh, working class people in major cities in Canada. So yeah, what maybe we could just start with uh, discussing the question of housing and what is in the budget, or sorry, not the budget, what is in the NDP platform in terms of uh, what they're proposing for for housing, uh, and then we can go through some of the other things that are in here. I don't know, Alex, if you want to start off on that or talk about just general the the, yeah, the sure. program general. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Uh, actually, first of all, uh, the audience should know that Joel is a secret anarchist saboteur who is telling you the wrong day for the election. It is not June third. It is June second. Uh, so Joel does not want you to vote. Uh, he's sabotaging your democratic rights. Um, and anyway, but <laughs> going into it, well, I. Uh, read a 190 page document so you don't have to so we do our homework on this show and although half of it is in French so I just read it in English and um, yeah so going into what the NDP platform is actually, let's talk about uh, it, it's actually a reformist platform and this is different from the NDP's federal platform in 2013 and the Ontario platform in 2014, which were not even reformist platforms. They were based upon a balanced budget and cuts. And, and they got totally destroyed in those elections. 2013 was the, the classic, the, the Tom Mulcair-led NDP that abandoned socialism and got outlefted by the Liberals. So, uh, so that was a 
total betrayal and an utter electoral defeat and, and totally uh, proves all of those right-wing bureaucrats wrong that, uh, you know, you have to moderate to win. They moderated and they lost. But this platform, it, it is a reformist platform. Let's, let's start there. It's a reformist platform in that this is the best thing that could potentially be happen under capitalism. Right. And, uh, and, and we'll detail that. It's not definitely not a socialist platform by any means, but it does have some reforms. And, and, and we don't believe in being just doctrinaires and saying everything is terrible when, when there are some things that will benefit working class people. Now, in terms of the NDP's housing platform, the Ontario NDP's housing platform, well, they say they're going to build 100,000 units. Uh, and that sounds okay, but they've, they kind of go back and forward. Sometimes they say social housing and sometimes they say affordable housing. Uh, last week on our show, we explained affordable housing is a con. It is a gift to developers. Uh, so it might be that, or it might be social housing. They're vague. Um, so devil's in the details. Uh, other good stuff in there, uh, they're going to put in housing benefit for low-income in renters. That's not terrible. They don't have give many details on that. Uh, they want to give rent control per unit as opposed to rent control on the individual renter. So that, that's actually quite a good reform in that, you know, so if you move out, typically only old houses have rent control currently. So they have, uh, and if you move out, then there's no rent, rent control for the new renter. Now they want to sort of have it, the rent control on all housing and it's based upon the unit. So uh, someone moves out and you move into a new place, you pay the same rent or similar rent to what they paid. So that's an okay reform. Um, they're putting in the foreign bias uh, restrictions, racist stuff that we criticized before does nothing, uh, pretending to do something, but they are putting in a 2% vacancy tax. So empty speculative housing and units, they will be pay, pay a 2% tax every year. That's a reform. It's not terrible. Though we say these should be seized. They should be seized and people should be housed. Right? So it's reformist. It's not socialist. Cool. Thanks. Well, yeah, so that, that sums up the general uh, what's in the budget in terms of housing. I mean, some good things, some not so good things, some some actual bad things. I think foreign virus tax is just a gift to the to racists and right wing trying to blame foreigners for the for the problem of speculation, which is a homegrown problem of of uh, Canadian speculators. Um, but yeah, some good things in here that would benefit working class people um, who you know rent control. Uh, yeah, a number of things that you mentioned here, um, and potentially social housing if that pans out. But the fact that they're being a bit vague on it is does not give me confidence <laughs> that they are proposing 100,000 social housing units. Um, might just be a gift to developers, as you've described. Um, moving on, uh, what about healthcare? Obviously, we're still in, <laughs> I don't want to say we're out of the pandemic. I know people talk about it. We're not out of the pandemic. We're in a sixth wave right now. Uh, and there have been thousands and thousands of deaths 
largely due to the problems in the healthcare system, the underfunding of the healthcare system, not just the underfunding, the gutting of the healthcare system over decades by liberal and conservative, by capitalist governments. So this is a big issue. What do the NDP have in their platform for healthcare? Yeah, they, they do very much identify the uh, the utter betray- uh, betrayal of the liberals and the conservatives, the causing thousands and thousands of deaths under COVID due to the underfunding and the mismanagement of the healthcare system. So they identify the problem. So that's good. And and again, some reforms. Um, Seven hundred thirty-five million dollars for healthcare to restore some healthcare funding and then uh, make a dent in hallway healthcare. Uh, the big one is pharmacare, and and this this is this is probably the banner reform in this platform. That you know, again, last week we criticised the uh, federal liberal NDP deal for being very vague on pharmacare. The Ontario NDP has said they're not going to wait five years for the feds to get it sorted out. They're going to implement pharmacare right away at a cost of $475 million a year. So that is a significant commitment that they're going to do it now. Again, so like previous NDP promises is that they're gonna do it eight years, 12 years, 16 years from now, it's like, doesn't matter. But they're actually committing to that. Okay, that's good. Pharmacare would make a big difference. Um, There, in terms of long-term care for the the, uh, old folks, they're committing for to create a public long-term care agency that will create 50,000 beds in a public system. Um, so that's not bad, although they've got no timeline, right? They want, they want to end private long-term care. And that is where I think more than half of the deaths in COVID have been in long-term care or, or something. It's, it's just a utter scandal private long-term care, the death rates there. So they, they want to end that, but it, they, they could do it in 10 years or, or more. And, and, and then, so devil's in the details. Um, what have I missed? I, th- I think there's, uh, Joel, uh, you've, you've got my list here. Well, yeah, there's the hiring 30,000 nurses uh, and hiring 10,000 uh, PSWs and giving them a $5 raise. So this is real reforms. If they actually get in power and implement that, that is... One, good jobs for people and also, uh, well, good union jobs for people and also uh, the the needed help in the healthcare system. Um, so that's a big one. Um, yeah, these are real tangible reforms that work that would benefit working class people, uh, all people ultimately, because that's the healthcare system. But yeah, particular working class people. Um, uh, and yeah, and then there's, they are going to include mental health services in healthcare as well. So I think those are maybe a couple things that you you didn't mention that are in the platform, but yeah, good. Yeah. It's a reformist program. Good reform is that, that, that we should fight for and that we are in favor of. Um, but yeah. Free contraception too. So, uh, yes. so you can have safe sex under the NDP. Yes. Very much in favor of this. <laughs> you can have safe <laughs> sex with the NDP. Um, uh, moving on in the program here. So yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what they have for healthcare. So uh, good things a uh, little weak on firm commitments for some of the stuff, uh, which is fairly typical. Uh, but moving on, education. Obviously, the education system 
as similar to the healthcare system, has has been gutted over the last number of decades by liberal and conservative governments alike. Um, and so, yeah, um, and, and and we've seen this under COVID as well. We've seen big problems in the healthcare or in the education system. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, and there's been the attacks of uh, Doug Ford um, against students, uh, against students' right to organize, uh, against students that need financial support to go to higher education and things like this. So yeah, or uh, maybe we can move on to that education. Like what are the NDP proposing in terms of education? Yeah. And and, and the Ford government has been attaching teachers to uh, quite vociferously education cuts. So in terms of, uh, uh, yeah, pre uh, well, childhood education. So they're going to hire um early childhood educators and give them a $25 minimum wage. So that's good. They're going to hire 20,000 teachers and, and, and they're going to cap class sizes, but they're only going to cap class sizes in grades four to eight, and they're capping it at 24 students. Now that's a lot better than right now when the, uh, the class size is typically around 30 or 35. So 24 would be an improvement but the traditional demand is actually be for 21 and across the board, right? Not for limited grades. So in a way that is a step, that is a reform, but it is a step back from previous commitments. So it should be 21 across the board, not 24 for grades four to eight. And then yes, in higher education, there've been significant attacks by the Ford government that they attacked um, Ontario student assistance program they attacked grants. They uh, put up. You know, they attacked students' right to organise. They attacked students' unions and students' clubs. They Ford accused uh, student unions of crazy Marxist nonsense. So uh, I, I think they were blaming us uh, for this. We we wish. You know. Yes, we, we <laughs> yes, uh, and we, and we we were the uh, crazy Marxist nonsense, but uh, not so much nonsense because we've been growing and growing. Um, anyway, so the NDP is committing to refor- reversing all of those student assistance uh, cuts, to converting uh, loans to grants, reversing student interest and actually wiping out the student interest that uh, uh, students would have incurred over the four years. And, uh, and so, so, Yes, that's good. Uh, it's a commitment that they had. They opposed these cuts when they happened, and now they're going to reverse them. But notable by its absence, no free education. That is the traditional demand of the student movement. Free education must be free education. Um, so, yes, that's what's in education. Okay, very good. Um, <clears throat> well, good and not enough. But uh, yeah, so there's many things. Reversing the Doug Ford cuts is obviously the first thing that's very important. Hiring 20,000 teachers, I believe they're committing to as well. Very good. Uh, uh, yeah, re- converting loans to grants, uh, vital supports that working class, poor working class students need to attend uh, higher education, which is becoming increasingly inaccessible. Um yeah, so that's some of the promises that they are putting forward in terms of education. Um, now, on to, I guess, workers, maybe general things that they're putting forward for working class people, for the union movement, uh, uh, and things like that, as, we, as we've seen, especially during COVID, uh, unions were kind of forced into 
crappy agreements uh, because of the, oh, we're all in this together mantra, uh, especially frontline workers forced to work in horrible conditions, in unsafe conditions uh, with, with, uh, with uh, uh, inadequate safety measures. Um, so yeah, really the, I guess, for working class people, for uh, public sector workers, for frontline workers and trade unions, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be desired here. Um, what does the NDP program do for workers? Well, there's a couple of good things. Uh, most notably, anti-scab legislation. So that's very good, making scabs replacement workers, to use the politically incorrect terminology. Uh, so they will be illegal. And so that's a long hold demand of the labor movement. And, and actually follows on from, we had a fantastic, uh, we were both present at a fantastic launch event for the Picket Lines Mean Do Not Cross campaign on Saturday, over a hundred people, great energy workers coming up saying, yeah, we absolutely need this. So uh, go, go to uh, the Picket Lines Mean Do Not Cross campaign uh, page on Facebook. Uh, there's a report about it on marxist.ca so that's fantastic so anti-scab legislation that's a good step forward and card check union certification yeah last time we were also talking about the union wave in the states now present unionization law is you need to sign a majority of the workers up with union cards and then it goes for a, a ballot vote on whether or not uh, you form a union. But the time between signing the cards and taking that vote, vote is typically the time when the boss massively intimidates everybody and fires people and does every sneaky trick under the book to stick, get workers to vote no. So the NDP have put it in that if you sign 55% of the workers with union cards, then you automatically get union certification. So that's a good thing. Um, now, another thing, $20 minimum wage. That sounds good, but devil's in the details. It's not $20 minimum wage now. It's $20 minimum wage in 2026. So given what current inflation is, $20 in 2026 is less than $15 now. Right? There needs to be $20 now. Absolutely. And although people people might not read the small print, they might just see twenty dollars now and say, "Okay, good," but oh, they might just read twenty dollars and not realize inflation. But um, it needs to be twenty dollars now, not in twenty twenty six. Other things for workers: uh, sick days. They this actually it sounds good. So there was a big movement last year for ten paid sick days, and the NDP supported that movement. But in their platform, uh, I control f it. They mention sick days five times and never does it say 10 days. It just says increase or improve and give support to small businesses to manage the transition. So this is already a stepping back. I think this is the first, that's the most obvious potential beginning rollback from previous commitments. They're not explicitly saying 10 days in the labor movement. Everybody needs to demand. You mean 10 days, don't you? Actually, you need more, more than 10 days. I think uh, the, the movement is calling for 10 days in normal times and an extra uh, two weeks in a pandemic, in a pandemic, in a healthcare emergency. So that's a potential step back. The labor movement needs to demand commit, explicit commitments on that. 
Um, yeah, there's other, there's other stuff. What did I miss, Joe? Um, increasing rates for disability, are they not, are in proposing this and they're in tying it to inflation. So I believe, you know, that's obviously a good thing. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a 20% increase for welfare and disability and then future is inflation. Yeah, yeah. So obviously that's good. I mean, yeah, so there's many good things in here. There's also, um, they included in uh, supporting workers, uh, but they 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 put it forward in a narrow economic nationalist way uh, by Ontario, which is not even really economic nationalism, so just economic provincialism. You know, it reminds me of uh, like Buy American or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, I know Legault is doing that in Quebec by by Quebec, you know, by Quebec products. So yeah, really, uh, how, how is that going to help working class people? <laughs> it, it, well, uh, it, it actually makes everything more expensive. And, and actually, it's, Ontario corporations are just as evil as corporations elsewhere. Some so would say it, more evil. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it shouldn't be by Ontario. It shouldn't be by Canada. It should be by union. And, and it should be internationalism, not nationalism or provincialism. Right. Uh, th- th- these things never work. And to the degree they do work, they just increase the costs for working class people. Uh, and actually, it shouldn't be, again, by Ontario. It shouldn't be by private. It should be nationalization. It should be. You know, th- it's in their section about creating jobs by Ontario. And and in that, it's all corporate welfare. It's all corporate welfare. You know, they got a bit about the auto sector, corporate welfare. It doesn't have explicit numbers, but it's just giving money to uh, right wing supporting corporations. It should be expropriated, should be nationalized, should be public ownership. Uh, That's how you create jobs and uh, build good union jobs. And it should be by union, by by nationalization, expropriate, nationalize. Um, Another thing, actually a good one, Scrap Bill 124. There's the 1% uh, public sector wage cap which with inflation is a 6% wage cut every year. So that that's a, uh, a, a good reform. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that's most of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's most of it for the, the section on, I guess, workers and the economy at large and whatnot. But um, I mean, there are some other things. Maybe we can just do a general anything else point. <laughs> are there any other interesting things in the budget? I believe there was some interesting stuff on transit uh, you mentioned earlier yes so they've committed to share transit funding 50 50 with municipalities and and that's actually a big issue for the toronto transit commission that the province only funds something like 30 or 35 percent of the funding when the original agreement was to be 50 50 so so that will be a significant increase of transit funding to the municipalities so that would be good and they've also committed to stop public private partnerships so-called p3s in in transit funding so there's been massive corporate welfare in that and and uh union busting in p3s and and a lot, a lot of health and safety problems in p3s as well i think um, a number of workers have died building transit infrastructure in Ontario and Toronto, especially. Uh, so, so they cut corners all over the place, non-union, et cetera. So yes, get get the private sector on, out of transit. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so, well, some good stuff on transit. Uh, there is a, another thing. 
it's been a historic demand of the NDP and the labor movement. I believe in most provinces or even federally, uh, uh, public auto insurance. And this has become an increasing uh, demand uh, and an increasing concern for working class people uh, who have to drive a car. And in a big city like Toronto or in many big cities, like it, it isn't it, for a lot of people, it is you have to have a car. I mean, it's not like uh, a lot of people, they, they just think that it's some sort of choice. I mean, you got to have it for work. Um, so, yeah, public auto insurance is a key demand. Uh, the the private auto or the private auto insurance companies are just really milking people. They're really just taking you for a ride. So uh, what do they say about that? And yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can start with that and then we can get into. Well, well there's, a, there's a funny irony in this, in that this was the banner reform of the Bob Ray government of the 1990s, this sort of classic uh, uh, betraying reformist government of the NDP and uh, and and they uh, backtracked on that they betrayed their promise and then there, there is a small section in the platform on public auto insurance but it, all it says we will try our best to see ways to reduce rates so it was hopes and dreams and wishes and ponies and unicorns and every, everything being being haunted by the ghost of Bob Ray, I guess. <laughs> exactly. They are high, they have significant PTSD uh, related to public auto insurance, so they cannot actually make the commitment for public system. And and yes, in, in the provinces who have public systems, people pay way lower rates. Um, does Quebec have a public system, Joe? Uh, I actually don't know because I never owned a car when I was there. Right. I believe I believe they have something like that. But your yeah. partner does. So I was just wondering if she's still yeah. in the Quebec system. And- no, she is not. Ah. Um, oh. But no, anyway, but rates, so- rates, uh, rates are 50% in Quebec of what they are in Ontario. I know because yes. we, I just moved here. So <laughs> they are ridiculously expensive here. Although I believe they're much higher in Alberta now. <laughs> not surprising. Yeah. But yeah, when you have private auto insurance, it's a... Uh, um, yeah, basically when... It, it, it is what the market does, right? It's capitalism. It's kind of like the self with, with cell phone uh, plans. It's just this private uh, uh, profiteering, you know? Um, and I, I bet you there is probably some sort of price fixing in this too. You know, they agree to raise rates so they can all prof- profit off of all of us. So the public auto insurance, the key demand to basically say, no, this is what it is for everyone across the board at a very low rate and affordable for everybody. Uh, but yeah, they're they're haunted by Bob and the ghost of our very unfortunate. Um, but I think in the back of their minds, they're like, oh, wait a minute, we couldn't do it last time, so we probably can't do it in the future. So they but they still want to put something in, but they can't commit. Um, like actually a bunch of stuff in the program here. It's sort of not almost non-committal, you know. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that. Um, oh, there's another thing, it's related to owning a car. Uh they, they mentioned that they want to regulate gas prices, which obviously, I mean, <laughs> if you drive a car and you're paying for gas, it's you're getting just, just screwed at the pump. <laughs> the cost of gas is going through the roof. So, I mean, they're, they're, they are attempting to address working class demands or working class concerns. But yeah, what, how the hell, I mean, maybe this gets a bit into the next point about the, some of the problems with this program and the problems with this approach, but, but yeah, how can you, what are they going to do to regulate gas prices? How the hell are you going to regulate gas prices? I guess that's going to be an immediate question in the debates. Yeah. And this is classic reformism, recognizing the problem, not giving a solution, right? So they do recognize there is an affordability crisis. 
like gas has been insane. Actually, I, I posted a uh, a picture of the gas station around the corner from me, and in April of 2020, it was something like 60 cents a liter, and then right now it's a buck 80 a liter. So it's gone. You know, that's 300 percent inflation. It's insane, utterly insane. So, uh, uh, and then so they're going to think they're going to regulate it. That's utopian under private ownership. You try to regulate it, they will sabotage. They will cause oil, oil shortages. They, you know, the private corporations will not allow you to regulate it. That and this is again everything that is potentially maybe possible with the maintenance of capitalism. The only way to bring down gas prices is nationalization, expropriation. Those bastards have been getting subsidies of billions and billions of dollars for years and years and years. We've paid for those corporations a thousand times over. They don't deserve to be profiteering off the backs of working class people. We need to expropriate it and give people de- decent uh, services. And, you know, in terms of, and, and not just oil and gas, but all all of these things. And that's what's really missing. You know, apart from you know, eventually being a public option for long-term care, there is no talk about nationalization. Yeah. There's no talk, yeah, there's no talk, next to no talk about public ownership. Right. And if you're going to face down the capitalist crisis, you cannot rely upon the tools of capitalism. You cannot rely upon production for profit. You've got to have production for need public ownership, nationalization, workers' control, socialist planning. And, 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 and that's why this is not in any means a socialist program. Well, hold on, Alex. Seems a little extreme what you're proposing. There's got to be a middle of the road that we can kind of compromise of sorts. Uh, maybe the NDP have some great ideas. How, what, what, and I guess that's the big question. That we, we've listed a whole bunch of reforms here. Good reforms, things that we support, that working class people can get behind, that would better working class people's lives. Uh, so then we're getting into, uh, and you know, you just raised the socialist case. You got to have public ownership, nationalizations. You know, take it's basically the the profits produced by our labor. Working class must be under our democratic control, so we can use those profits to solve all of these major problems that the NDP are identifying. Um, but then the question is, yeah, well, that's a socialist approach. But what is the NDP proposing? We've said it's a reformist program. So obviously, you know, I, I watched Andrew Horvath the other day and they're asking her, how are you paying for this? <laughs> that is going to be the first and last question, the first, second, third, fourth, last question they ask them. How do you pay? How do you pay? Um, so, yeah. How are they proposing to pay for all this stuff, which is significant, a public expenditure? Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, they're not saying. <laughs> they, they are not saying how they're going to pay for it. Uh, and and they've, got, they've got half an excuse to this because they're waiting for the Tories to put out their budget and their budget numbers, and they will base their costing upon the Tory budget. But in a gl- more global sense, they capitalism cannot afford this stuff. Capitalism cannot afford this stuff. And the capitalists won't just allow a reformist government to put this stuff in. That's what happened to Bob Ray. I think we'll, we'll talk about that later. That, so, yes, they're not, they're not releasing the costing. They've said they're, 
they, they said they're not going to tax people who earn under $200,000. Actually, some of the academic left tack the NDP for not increasing taxes on working class people. And, and we don't agree with the academic left on that. I, I think uh, it's actually fine to say uh, don't tax uh, working class people. Uh, that's actually uh, a, a, an okay thing for a, a workers' movement to say because work because working class people already pay enough. Uh, so they're going to increase taxes on people earning over two hundred thousand, and they're going to increase taxes on corporations, but they haven't said how much. And also, well, traditionally, if they you know the federal NDP puts forward taxing the corporations so minor that it makes no bleeding difference. So it's either incredibly minor and makes no difference and doesn't solve the crisis, or if it is enough to make a difference, then with the maintenance of private ownership, you get corporate sabotage, you get capital strikes, uh, you get the reaction of the capitalist class. So you cannot resolve this contradiction of capitalism. You can, there is no fair division under capitalism. It's our labor. It's the labor of working class people that the capitalist class has expropriated. But if you try to take it back just through taxation and leaving them control of the economy under private ownership, they will mess you up every time. Yeah, so well, we'll get into uh, an example of that. <laughs> we already messed, talked about it a bit, the Bob Ray government in the 1990s, NDP government in Ontario. Um, and yeah, we don't just, that's just not just some dogmatic Marxist claim. <laughs> it actually bears out if you look at the experience of reformist governments that attempt to uh, try to plot a third way. You know, they're kind of like, oh, we'll just tax the corporations a bit and fund the social programs. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But first, I, I did want to take a, a short commercial break. Um, as we have been doing, I'm going to, you know, uh, Fightback Magazine. Uh, we produce every two weeks, fortnightly. Uh, and we're going to list our, our new subscribers, actually not even in a week because we did the show last Thursday. So I guess it's been five days since then. Uh, we have had seven new subscribers, so that's very good considering it's just five days. Uh, and uh, we, yeah, we would like to thank our subscribers. Uh, new subscribers are Noah, Samuel, Joseph, Jasmine, Garrett, David, and Wendy. So thank you uh, for subscribing to Fight Back Magazine. And I encourage anyone listening to the show to, yes, go to our website, go to marxist.ca and become a subscriber. Support us. Um, get your <laughs> fight back subscription mailed right to your house or emailed to your inbox. Uh, and yes, uh, uh, you know, we, we need your support to continue to do what we are doing. Um, yeah. Alex, you want to come in here? Yeah. I, I just wanted to also suggest, so we had fantastic people subscribing. Uh, if, if you're listening to this podcast and being inspired and you've already got a subscription, well, yeah, upgrade yourself to a full communist solidarity subscription. So give us 10, 20, 30, 50 bucks a month and, and then you really help the movement. So thank you for your subscription. And if you've got already get one, upgrade it. Yes, yeah, very good point. Um, we, as I've mentioned in 
previous weeks, we don't make any money. I think we lose money off of a normal subscription. I think we break even. I think yeah, we break even approximately. Yeah. And, we but yeah, to, and we want to do that. We want yeah, to yeah, we're not, we're not there to try to make money. But if you really want to support us uh, and support the work we're doing, you can go over and above and give us a monthly amount. That actually helps us do more things. So yes, please become a Solidarity subscriber. And you can find that information on our website at marxist.ca, as I said. So uh, yes, thank you to the seven subscribers. And please uh, go get your subscription or become a Solidarity subscriber. Um, so yeah, uh, we mess- we talked about it a bit already. Uh, why don't we just get right into it? Bob Ray, you know, we mentioned the NDP, <laughs> you know, when talking about public auto insurance, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, haunted by the ghost of Bob Ray. But yeah, what happened with the Bob Ray government? And has the NDP, Ontario NDP, learned the lessons of that <laughs> experience? Um, so I don't know, Alex, I know you've, Alex has actually done a whole presentation on the 90s, the Bob Ray, and then Mike Harris, who came in after, and the big struggle that developed, the Metro Days of Action, et cetera, which you can find on our podcast. Um, so yeah, if you want to listen to that, you can. But may, I know Alex knows a hell of a lot more about this than I uh, than I do. So maybe, Alex, you, what happened w- with the Bob Ray government? What was the Bob Ray government? And, 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 and why did it fail, ultimately? Yeah, well, the the NDP has not learnt the lessons of the Bob Ray government, and 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 will not lesson, learn those lessons until it adopts a socialist program. And so, what happened is the the, the NDP under Bob Ray uh, came to power on a modest reformist platform, very similar to the platform we have just outlined. Uh, instead of pharmacare, it was public auto insurance, but you switch, switch the two and it's the same. They also had anti-scab and they also had card check union certification, right? And a big enthusiasm from the workers, also in the middle of the crisis, the economic crisis of the 1990s, right? So they, they came to power in the middle of an economic crisis. What happened? There was a all mother of a backlash from corporate Canada. There was a specific campaign, don't invest in in socialist Ontario. There was a red scare campaign. There was billboards and adverts adverts in the Washington Post in the States. Say, don't invest in socialist Ontario. They had pictures of Bob Ray, Lenin, Marx, you know, a communist revolution was occurring in Ontario, if only, right? Anyway, so under that massive backlash and the economic crisis, you know, under the crisis, the, the reformist program was not feasible, was not feasible. There was no, there's no way to implement a platform that was consistent with capitalism. You had to break with capitalism. You had to adopt socialist demands. So the government was faced. The reformist government was faced with this choice: you either bend to the capitalists or you wage a socialist struggle. They bent to the capitalists and attacked the workers. Put in uh, wage controls, ray days, unpaid uh, days off uh, against the workers. They attacked the unions. They betrayed their policies, public auto insurance and and many others, and then were crushed in the following election, right? And so that, and and can, but obviously we are in a period of economic boom and growth and fantastic time, aren't we? It's nothing like the early nineties, right, Joel? It's worse than the (laughs) nineties. So if that's the case, it's not looking so good for a reformist government. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. So I think this leads into the question of reformism in power. Now, you have had reformist governments come to power in a capitalist boom, and they are able to give a bit, there's a bit more wiggle room, right? Although if you look at the Alberta NDP and the BC NDP governments, they have, yeah. been, they, they have been actually to the right of the Liberals quite often. Yeah. Right. So actually, this the Ontario NDP platform is significantly better than the Alberta and the BC NDP, uh, both platforms and experience in government who have done nothing. Uh, they've yes. attacked Indigenous people. They've given corporate welfare to oil and gas and and stuff like that. So this, the Ontario NDP is better than the NDP out west. But who? Not, but if they won power on this basis, they may end up in exactly the same betrayal. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, this is the Bob Ray example uh, is a very important example to study because it shows what happens when a reformist government comes to power uh, in a capitalist crisis, <laughs> which is a situation that we will, would have if the NDP in Ontario were elected. Um, and actually, you have, I think, around the world, if any, uh, any reformist government gets elected in this situation, it is not a good situation. And unless uh, they ad adopt a socialist program and have a plan to break from capitalism and actually mobilize the workers to defend that plan. Actually, that's one problem with the Bob Ray government. It was a parliamentary thing, right? So they, the, they bent to the pressure of the capitalists. Yeah. So unless you do that, then you end up like Bob Ray. Uh, I think Bob Ray famously said the socialists have lost the economic argument. And then he abandoned the NDP and joined the liberals. But the only problem was that what he said was nonsense. He wasn't a socialist in the same sense that this program, the Ontario NDP today, is also not socialist. So they, as you said, they did not learn the lessons of the Bob Ray experience. Um, and as we quite often say, betrayal is inherent in reformism. Uh, it's not because they're bad people, although I do think Bob Ray is a bad guy. <laughs> it is because they don't have the right, they don't have good ideas. They have actually, they, they have, it seems like the NDP has exactly the same ideas as Bob Ray. Not exactly, but general lines are exactly the same. So what do you think is going to happen? And I think the economic situation is worse than it was in the 90s. So that means it's not, it's less feasible what they're proposing than it was for Bob Ray in the 90s. And the movement needs to learn these lessons. And I think that people, that wasn't so long ago. That was the 1990s. A lot of people in Ontario remember Bob Ray. And the NDP can't seem to, in Ontario, seem to can't get out from under the shadow of Bob Ray. And I mean, can you blame people for thinking that the NDP are going to do exactly the same thing as Bob Ray, come to power on a bunch of promises and then betray them? No. I mean, why would you think that they would act any different? So this actually helps to explain where are we at? We're talking about election in June 2nd. Where are we at in the polls? What's going on? I don't know. You want to speak to this? Yeah, are the NDP uh, soaring high in the polls? No, it's utterly scandalous how, despite all of the attacks and the incompetence and the hatred, like the the uh, against um, the Ford government, like Doug Ford was in a competition with corrupt Jason Kenney for the least popular premier in the country, uh, especially in the middle of COVID. That, 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 
huge deaths and incompetence and uh, lack of sick days. You know, there's a huge, there was a mass movement about that a year ago and people hated the government, but now the NDP, because it's basing itself upon the status quo, upon the logic of capitalism, Doug Ford has come back. Doug Ford is number one in the polls and is, is on the verge of getting a majority government. Right. And the NDP at various polls put them in either second or even third place behind the liberals, the discredited liberals with an incredibly weak leader, you know, Del Duca, who's like a non-entity. And, and so it's this idea that the reformists have that you have to moderate to win. It's precisely the opposite. People have an organic understanding that the system is, is in crisis. They need to call out the system. They're in second and third place, third place quite often, because they're based upon the status quo, right? And it's like, well, you're all basing yourselves on the status quo. You're all basing yourselves on capitalism. We might as well go with Dougie Ford, the devil you know. At least he's an open capitalist. You know, who's best at running capitalism, the capitalists or reformists, right? So this, this is why the NDP is in utter malaise and, and, and could have a miserable defeat. Now, don't try to predict elections. Lots of spontaneous things happen in elections. It is, it is possible that, you know, a, a six weeks from now, Andrew Horvath is the new Premier of Ontario. It, it is possible there is, you know, maybe people get enthused about pharmacare and a $20 minimum wage. So they, they, they could win the election. But they're doing everything in their power to lose it. And, and they need to be calling for socialism and they need to be calling out the capitalist system. That would infuse people. That would cause a mass movement. Yeah. So that leads me, a bit, I guess, a bit to, you know, that this is all parliamentary, like election, a bourgeois parliamentary election, as in Marxist terminology. Uh, so what, you know, we've just described that, on basis on the basis of this program, which is similar to the Bob Ray program, with objectively a worse economic situation, it doesn't look good. But 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 is all lost. <laughs> uh, should we? You know, uh, what maybe you know the 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 answer lies in the movement of the working class. Uh, what so it doesn't mean that every government is going to betray all the time on everything. Uh, that's not our argument. That's not what we say. Um, uh, and, and working class people uh, can get mobilized and do often quite get mobilized during an election time. Um, but yeah, what is, I mean, maybe I want to speak to this. There, is, there has been a change in the labor movement in Ontario. Uh, what is the labor movement doing uh, with, with this election coming up? Uh, very vitally important that the organized labor movement uh, uh, do something. <laughs> uh, and yeah, maybe, I don't know, Alex, you want to speak to that? What is going on? Well, yeah, the Ontario Federation, Labour and the big unions are organising a mass rally on May 1st, essentially to support the NDP. And typically in Ontario, the unions ignore May Day. So, okay, it's good that they're organising something and and they're they're significantly mobilising. They're probably going to bring tens of thousands of people. We'll see how big it is. And, And in a way, this is like one step forward, two steps back because previously in in the 2018 election, the OFL and the big unions were supporting strategic voting. 
There's nothing strategic about strategic voting. This is pro-liberal voting. It's pro-capitalist voting. And actually, the effect in 2018 was to divert votes from an NDP candidate who could have defeated the Conservative to a liberal candidate, which was in crisis, and actually allowed Doug Ford to get his majority. So it wasn't strategic at all. So you should never vote liberal. Strategic voting is a con, and it's a scandal that the unions ever supported that. Thankfully, in the intervening period, the Ontario, most of the Ontario unions and the Ontario Federation of Labour have moved away from strategic voting. And now they're organising this big rally, basically a big rally for the NDP. But they haven't learned the lessons of Bob Ray. It is an uncritical support for the NDP. It's just, yeah, 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 go, 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 NDP, NDP. What's going to happen with uncritical support? Well, there's going to be a right-wing backlash. And if, if you know anything about building a build, you know, about building a house, you know, if there's a force from one side, you need to oppose it with a force from the other, right? And uncritical support is there's no left force uh, to making demands upon the NDP. So you shouldn't have uncritical support, the NDP. You should have highly critical support. And, you, and, the, and the unions must be mobilizing on issues, not just on parliamentary arithmetic. So it shouldn't be $20 in 2026. It should be $20 now and, and then going up to $25, right? It shouldn't be regulation. It should be nationalization of oil and gas and power and, and all of the major exploiters. So they, they shouldn't be doing a 2% vacancy tax. It should be seizing empty properties, be building mass building of social public sector housing, right? And expropriate the developers that are making billions of profits on the housing market. Free education for students. Sick days, especially. We saw that rolling back of the commitment for 10 days of sick days. Demand, absolutely, 10 days and more, right? Class sizes at 21 across the board. And above all, above all, demanding socialism, a socialist policy. Unions need to demand a so socialism in society, socialism from the trade, from, from the NDP. And, 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 that, and this is what happened in, you know, we talked about the Common Front General Strike in Quebec in 1972. The precursor for that was the CSN adopting a socialist manifesto, the CSN manifesto. And, and, and the unions control a third of the votes in the NDP. If the unions were adopted a socialist policy, they could demand that the NDP adopts a socialist policy. And, and that's the key. That's the, the key to really have sort of radical change. The unions need to have so radical socialist policy that says capitalism has failed. We need a new society. Yeah, exactly. So May Day is coming up here in Ontario. Uh, we will be mobilized for May Day. And that is the message that we were fighting for. Fight Back is fighting for in the movement. We, we believe the labor movement must be fighting for an openly socialist policy, must blame the system for all of these problems. And yes, uh, fight against any uh, fight for, for, yeah, like all of these if and or but sort of reforms uh, must be more bold and must be demanded now. And that's really what working class people, as we discussed last week, working class people, they want something they can get, they can bite their teeth into. And they want something that they, 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 they don't want something that they're like, oh, we're not sure. We'll look into it. Maybe 
you're not going to get votes this way. <laughs> you're not going to get votes that way, especially coming from a party that was in government in the 90s and betrayed. People were very excited about the Bob Ray government in the early days, and it went, they went back on everything. So, yeah, we really need to. And that is connected to the fight for socialism, for a new way of organizing society. Uh, fundamentally important. We can't you can't control what you don't own. And if the capitalists, if the NDP is not pointing to the private ownership of the economy by these big billionaires, pandemic profiteers, uh, and you're not calling that out and you're not only not calling that out, but you're not proposing something different, right? All that wealth produced. Uh, and, and even Andrew Horvath said that, oh, they, they made a lot of profits during the pandemic. The question is how are you going to get it, right? <laughs> you, you can't get it with corporate taxation. The Bob Ray government showed that, <laughs> that that will not work. We need nationalization. You need a socialist policy. So that is the policy that we're fighting for. Um, so yeah, I guess this leads to a, well, I, a, and they and they call us utopians. Yeah, but the reformist policy in the period of capitalist crisis that is the most utopian, right? To try and get the corporations be nice by policy changes. Sorry, they're not nice. They're tigers. You can't get them to be vegetarians. They eat the meat, right? They chew up workers and spit them out, right? We recognize the reality of the situation. They've been exploited workers. We need to seize the wealth created by working class people. That is the only non-utopian policy in a system in crisis. And, and that explains the malaise of the NDP because people have an organic elemental understanding of that too. You need to call out the system. Yeah, so this leads into, I think we sh we've been going on for almost an hour now. So maybe we could just finish off on a sort of, you know, I mentioned at the very beginning, like, and we started, we have started to do this. We're discussing the Marxist approach uh, to social democracy. So yeah, we're, we're Marxists. We're, we believe in fighting for socialism. We made that clear. Uh, the NDP are not, the leaders of the NDP are not Marxists. They're not putting forward a socialist program. Uh, some people in the movement, uh, I think some people would say, oh, well, whatever, a pox on all their houses, like they're all the same. They don't matter. Why vote? Boycott the election. You, you generally get that from some anarchist sectors and some people. Um, but yeah, what's, Maybe we can just end on a bit more of a theoretical point on like strategy and tactics and whatnot. But what is the Marxist approach to social to an, a party like the NDP to social democracy? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, Alex. Do you want to come in well, on this? Well, yeah. If if a young worker or a student comes to me and says, no, I I I, I don't want to vote for a reformist party, then it's not my job to convince them to vote NDP. Absolutely not. Um, I have, like I'm not, I'm not a supporter of bourgeois democracy. Uh, I'm in favor of workers' democracy. I think we should elect our bosses, right? You should. Uh, you should. Uh, there's an economic dictatorship in the workplace. So we believe in bourgeois in workers' democracy, not capitalist democracy. But we take Lenin's position from left-wing communism and infantile disorder that if you just boycott something that everybody's looking to then you're not really creating an alternative. You're just boycotting the debate. You're boycotting yourself. So it's only really acceptable to boycott something when you're capable of replacing it. And, and for like it or not, well, we don't like it. People look to uh, capitalist parliamentarism. They do. And so we engage in the debate and the discussion to present socialist ideas and socialist 
solutions, to build the revolutionary organization, to build the movement, to build the ideas and the demand. And through the process of actions, people, people will come to see the limitations of capitalist democracy. They will come to see the limitations of reformist social democracy. It is a path that people need to lead through. And it eventually, eventually the movement develops the, the consciousness and the anger and the organization. And you build a revolutionary force of thousands of people. And then you build a revolutionary movement of millions of workers out on the streets. And then that puts the question of going beyond capitalist democracy on the table. But you got to get there. You can't just get there through a whim. You have to actually engage in the debate and show people the limitations and the, and the undemocratic nature of capitalism. Yeah, so you summed it up very well. I think, yeah, you know, as Marxists, we need to be, uh, you need to, we can't mistake our understanding for the general understanding in the movement and the general understanding of the labor movement in particular. That's what we're talking about. Uh, oh, we, we, we need to engage with the movement and with the current level of consciousness and understanding where it's at, not go, oh, <laughs> stop it, but come, come follow us. I mean, that's kind of the message of every small sectarian enlightener group that ever existed that always fail. And there's been many of them in Canada throughout the history of, of the country. And yeah, fight back. We don't really believe in that. We believe we got to engage with the situation and with the level of consciousness and which where people are at, right? And with the movement and with the traditions in the labor movement, which the NDP is a part, an organic part of the labor movement. So as we have done today, and yeah, that is precisely what we have done today. We go through the program of the NDP. What does it say? What is good? What is bad? And what are the problems with it, right? And what the movement needs to do, right? Uh, what the labor movement needs to do, which is fight for a socialist policy. Otherwise, you risk. So we're, no, we're not saying uh, we're not cheerleading the NDP. We're not saying everything's all wonderful. Yeah. And, we're and, not... and, people, and people want to know how to get rid of Doug Ford, right? Exactly. The overwhelming working class people go, how do we get rid of Doug Ford? So we have to engage in that debate. Yeah, exactly. So how do we get rid of Doug Ford? And if someone asks me, it's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, vote NDP. Of course, they're the best one. Look at the program. Uh, however, we don't just say that. We say you have to fight. That There is a real danger that if they do get elected, you have a Bob Ray situation. Nobody wants that. So you have to get involved. You have to get involved. And, and trade unionists, <laughs> uh, young militants, we need to fight for a socialist policy as we have outlined here. Otherwise, you do risk a betrayal of sorts on the on the lines of Bob Ray that this these reforms are not possible, especially given the current state of the capitalist system, which is an abject crisis. So, yes, we need to fight for a socialist policy and we need people to help us fight for that policy. That is what we are doing at Fight Back. We are mar revolutionary Marxists fighting against the Doug Ford government, against the attacks from the capitalist system. Uh, for all reforms, improving working class people's lives, many of them in the NDP program. But we are for uh, we are for fighting to actually win, to actually, and, and we discuss how to win those things, and actually how to make sure that we don't have betrayals like we had in the '90s with the Bob Ray government. So yeah, I appeal to everyone listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast and you liked our approach to the movement, please contact us and get involved. Get involved in the fight for socialist for so, a socialist solution to to all of the problems that working class people face. Whether it's edu in the education system, as we outlined, whether it's the housing crisis, which 
definitely, as we've outlined, requires a socialist solution, whether it's the horrible situation in the healthcare system, uh, which can only be solved by mass hiring and nationalizations, the end of private care and long-term private ownership and long-term care. This all takes a socialist plan. Um, get involved, help us fight for a socialist solution to the crisis of capitalism. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.